0: you Welcome to the Monstrous Flesh podcast, where we explore the evolution and role of women in horror, as well as familiar tropes of the genre through a feminist lens. There will be spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't seen the film yet and don't want want us to ruin it for you, pause this podcast and come back when you're ready for a deep dive into it. I'm Meg, one of your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Clelia, the other host of the podcast. And in this series, we are turning our attention to the representation of female monsters in horror cinema. And in each episode, we dissect one film we feel fits the bill particularly well. And today our film is Evil Dead Rise. So, do you want to give us a synopsis, Clelia? Let's do it. Um, Evil Dead Rise is the
1: latest installment in the Evil Dead franchise, and it tells the tale of two nearly estranged sisters whose reunion is cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing possess- demons, thrusting them into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nighter version of long-lost family that you can possibly imagine. <laughs> so, <laughs> Meg, are you a fan of the Evil Dead franchise? Right.
0: Full disclosure... I've never seen the originals. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not me putting you on the spot right here, right now.
0: <laughs> I never saw the originals. But I saw the uh, um, the 2013 version when it came out. And um, Was that your
1: entry point into the Evil Dead franchise? Yes, Was that the, f- the first the one, first you seen one I okay. saw, yeah. Right.
0: So I re-watched that before this one. Um, and and I just because I remember it really, really petrifying me the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. But then this time, what I realised is it's not I mean, I think it's really good and I really like it, but it's the amount of jump scares I can't stand. Like I'm for a horror <laughs> fan, I'm terrible. I'm just terrible at jump scares. So it it takes me out of it. By end, I was just like watching through my fingers, like, oh God, <laughs> not another one. Um and I think that this the Evil Dead Rise were much easier for me to enjoy because it weren't constant like somebody's popping up at, you know, at shower. <laughs> <You're up>. gonna...
1: <laughs> that's really funny that's actually something some, um someone I know made the same comment actually I mean the, on the the other way around actually they said that they didn't enjoy this one as much because it didn't have as many jump scare yeah. and it was weird to me to hear that because I was like but just because I'm I watched you know the original and I was like and I don't really associate the Evil Dead mm-hmm. franchise with any jump scares. So when she said that I was like, I don't yeah. really get it. But then and then I, I, I wrote um, then I, I, I watched um the 2013 remake and I was like, oh okay, yeah, yeah. no, I get, I, you know I understand I understand where you're coming from. Um so uh say so it's really interesting that that you know that 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 the remake was your entry point mm. into the franchise. Um personally I felt a bit apprehensive about doing an episode on this film, um, about on the franchise rather than rather than this film, because you know Evil Dead: Evil, De- Evil Dead rises, uh, is a thing in itself. Um, but because I think this franchise is so important to so many people, mm. and everybody has a story about how they came across it, and which film started their journey with yeah. it, um, which tattoo they have of the cabin <laughs> in the wood, or Bruce Campbell, yeah. or whatnot. You know what I mean? And um, I'm all here for it. Don't get me wrong. I love it, and it means a lot to me as well. Um, um, but also, and I hope people won't bite my head off for saying this, but um, I think for me, it's, it's also an example of the film bros universe. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean when yeah. I say this? Um, it's, uh, it, you know, people are obsessed with every little details of the production of these films. Um, some men feel represented by the character of Ash, who starts as a cowardly loser, <laughs> then progressively becomes this badass hero, killing machine with Z one-liners and gets the ladies. So, um, and I've, actually, as a, you know, part of the prep, I suppose, for, for this episode, I watched the um, the documentary Hail to the dead Eyes or Hail yeah. the dead on on yeah. Amazon Prime, which is, anyway, it's... It- it's not great, but it's, also, it's also, I felt like he. I, I kind of feel like he didn't give a very good overview of um uh, of Evil Dead fans. Sorry to say that to people who, to people who love it, but that was kind of my apprehension in talking about the franchise and saying mm. this. I mean, I absolutely love the film. I so Evil Dead Two was mm-hmm. my um, entry point into the franchise, like many many people, because obviously, the original Evil Dead was um, part of the Vito nasties, uh, so it wasn't available in the UK mm-hmm. for a really long time um but but yeah and I, this one is 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 really quite different though so yeah. um so yeah
0: i think we can I feel from, from what that. i know about it that the originals are have got a bit more of a comedy horror slant whereas i feel mm. you know the 2013 one is just relentlessly bleak <laughs> from yeah, the beginning absolutely, to end. yeah yeah
1: <laughs> it is it is so different i mean evil dead 2 is definitely a horror comedy i have said the the original evil dead um, the original Evil Dead is, um, I mean, it's, yes, there is comedy element to it, um, but the humour is more incidental, I would mm-hmm. say, rather than... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's so low budget, but it's it's absolutely great. I absolutely yeah. love it. I'll um, have to watch it. I will
0: but, have to watch it. Uh, you know. Yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. Do, do you treat yourself, yeah. uh, even though it's completely, completely different. I mean, I always say that I think the Evil Dead franchise is probably the most consistent inconsistent franchise yeah. out there yeah. <laughs> because every film is absolutely so different so uh so yeah, yeah it's a,
0: it's always a treat but let's yes let's talk about evil dead rise you're right we get it this is what we know it's tangent, <laughs> tangent city. well yeah and we could
1: uh, and we could make a whole episode we could you know make a whole episode about you know talking about the evil dead franchise but we're here to talk yeah. about evil dead Rise. so let's deep dive yes. um into it um, so this film is written and directed by Irish filmmaker Lee Cronin, mm. who, weirdly enough, uh, we mentioned in the last episode of the podcast um, because we we're recommending his first film, *The Hole in the Ground* from 2019. Oh. And I found out that this is *The Hole in the Ground* is actually where the Evil Dead Rise journey sort of began um, oh. because the film premiered the, the film premiered at Sundance in 2019, and whilst Lee Cronin was there, Sam Raimi had. Seen in the film at a press screening in LA at the same time and before Lee left Sam Raimi had reached out to him to talk and in that meeting Lee Croning told him that he was a huge you know that Evil Dead was a huge influence on his own work um and that's what kick-started the whole thing uh, so this oh. film has been in the work since 2019 effectively wow
0: um, which is
1: quite amazing really
0: yeah um, well he's been popping up on my um for you twitter page. And so I've seen loads of videos of like the production, which I, I think is really nice to see, you know, sort of lifting the veil a bit on on the the hidden world of how you make a film that mm-hmm. is so I mean, obviously we know I love a practical effect. So I, I liked it. <laughs> We're there for um, it, yeah, yeah. And and I think what I've been so impressed by is the you know, there's all these um you know little clips of actors like on bungee cards and Rolling about on mats and practicing the stunts, and I think that's so cool that it is so real what you're watching. Obviously, they're not really like mm-hmm. stabbing each other in eyes and stuff, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you no, know, like, they
1: definitely they make it as real as possible. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. and
0: I think that comes through, and I think that's what's so different to films that are so predominantly like CGI or you know, it's it mm-hmm. comes across and it feels when you watch it more exciting because it feels mm-hmm. more, more realistic you know and and i also really you know would commend anybody who is willing to get like chucked out in a lift on a bungee wire and then slammed back in <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, commitment i am
1: Commitment to the craft, exactly. I heard a quote from the uh, from the director actually saying um, that the great thing about the Evil Dead um, Evil Dead film is that they are entertaining terror, yeah. and that that really resonated with me because I realized today I'm probably I'm quite a hypocrite when it comes to violence in horror films because I'm always like, you know, like I'm I'm not really one for. Um, super gory mm. film or like I mean rather I don't mind the gore but if it's accompanied with with humour or distancing mm. framework so Evil Dead is perfect for me but I yeah. I watched The Sadness this morning I don't know oh, why god. I do this to myself to be oh, honest I, oh, I, I had a couple of hours to spare this morning and I was kind of like you know what I've been meaning to watch this film for, oh, for, you know, for ages and oh my god <laughs> I mean that's a whole different episode right here but you know it was there and then I was kind of like you know what Like, I'm going to stick to the evil dead universe yeah. and you know the the child's play and you know <laughs> and all yeah. the stuff that i love when it comes to gore but like this was just oh, this was too yeah, much for me i honestly, also I saw the sadness
0: it. and were like i don't think i could ever watch this again like i, I think yeah yeah you know good and you know oh absolutely but, amazing but so yeah so of a, but see my thing is like i'm i always say i don't like realistic violence that's not to say that i don't I can't, because obviously I loved Evil Dead Rise and that's violent, but I hate the sort mm-hmm. of, like, you know, that sort of torture porn that started, we are still, I don't count French extremity in that, you will notice. Call me a snob. <laughs> of course. If uh... you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't <laughs> like that hyper real violence that, you know, particularly because a lot of it is like directed against women's bodies as well, which I find quite difficult. Yeah. So yeah. I like yeah. go of at top, you know, like chainsaws and, yeah. all that stuff all
1: the is great because
0: right. it's it's so over top that you can have that disconnect between this is mm-hmm. this is not mm-hmm. real whereas I think when stuff's meant to be like hyper realistic I'm like oh I don't uh, too empathic we're too empathic yeah. clearly that's what it is too much empathy no uh, yeah,
1: that- <laughs> That's exactly our problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, to circle back to um Evil Dead Rise and, and to uh to the filmmaker a little bit. I think it's kind of an incredible thing really to go from um his first feature to this. Uh, mm. and I think he shows two things really that um well first of all the strength of Lee Cronin as a writer-director, yeah. I and mean, to be able to attract that much attention from you know from Hollywood, from Sam Raimi with the film coming out of Ireland. Mm. Um but it also, it also shows how Sam Ra- Raimi is a great supporter of talent. Um, We know he did the same thing with Fede Alvarez, who directed the 2013 Mm -hmm. remake of Evil Dead. Um, And at the time, he only had a couple of shorts. Uh, He'd only made a couple of short films. Mm -hmm. So so Sam Raimi clearly saw his potential and let him run with it, which is um, always an amazing thing to see. Next time, though, the only thing I would say, my only note for you, Sammy, uh, would be that we'd like to see a woman a direct woman. an Evil Let's Dead Let's see film. what
0: a woman right? does with the dead eyes. Exactly. Yes.
1: I'd love to see that. But I mean, really, I think we can't complain with this, with what Lee Cronin has conjured up with this new iteration of the story. Um, it's fresh. It's rife with rich subtext about dysfunctional family, mm. ideas about motherhood, and um, and I don't know what you make of it, but I think uh, extremely well written female characters. Actually, yes.
0: I would agree. Do we agree with that? I mm-hmm. would agree. I think, um, I mean, as always, I've forgot the names because that's my, uh, my thing. Beth and Ellie. Beth and are Ellie. The two sisters. Beth, yes. Yeah. There we are. Thank you. <laughs> Terrible prep. So I made
1: a note as well because I was like, I am, I, I'm definitely going to forget their names. So I went down a massive rabbit hole
0: for Folklore Corner but forgot to even look up the names. So that shows really my. Um, well, where my mind is, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's such an interesting dynamic between them as sisters, and this idea that um, Ellie has been gone, has disappeared. She doesn't know what's happening in her sister's life, and then plops back in, and she's fun aunt. That's very she's very much positioned as the fun aunt who drops in and drops out. And obviously, they as a family have been going through a really serious upheaval with the fact that mm-hmm. you know dad's disappeared, and. Um, I think that tension between them is played really well because sometimes what you find, and I know horror is a genre of extremes, but it's it's either one extreme or other, like either the be sisters who can't stand each other or, you know, it's a perfect sort of dynamic that's somehow disrupted and theirs mm. feels very realistic. There's tension, but there's yeah. a lot of love. And, you know, they can't, can't stand to be together, but they don't like to be apart. You know, I think it's a very realistic dynamic. It feels
1: authentic, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. And so he, 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 again, you showed that that strength of, you know, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Lee Cronin as a screenwriter here, I think he, mm-hmm. and, and that, that was very much shown as well. I think in the hole in the ground, his previous film, um, that he just knows that you flesh out those characters mm-hmm. and, uh, you know obviously with with evil with evil dead um you know there's usually with those films there's not a lot of time spent on getting to know the characters yeah. um and you know in this one it, you know it gives a little bit more room for this but it's I think you know that that gives us you know a lot more um, license to care about those characters as well, and you know where you know what they yeah. what they're going through, where they're coming from, uh, and what's at stake for them. So I, I just find that um, yeah, I just find that really uh, really great. Absolutely, um, a, a, re, a really great ab- update on the uh, on the story.
0: Yeah, and I also think it's interesting. One of the things I were thinking about, because obviously I'd watched 2013 one just before, is how it. I mean, it picks up very. It's you know very much about motherhood, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But it picks up that thread of like traumatic mothers because you know in the first one you've got a brother and sister whose mum weren't brilliant. I think you know maybe not through every fault of her own, but weren't a very you know um supportive parent and then in this you see sort of Beth and Ellie talking about the fact Mm -hmm. that their mum wasn't and then you've got Beth who is a very supportive parent, very engaged with her children but letting them sort of have their autonomy, very supportive of them living the truth, you know, like being a very Mm -hmm. loving parent and I think that's such an interesting... Continuation of a story about like intergenerational trauma and how mm-hmm. you be the one who breaks the cycle, you know, but then obviously she doesn't because <laughs> she becomes the ultimate demon mother, sort of thing. But yeah, you know, so I think that's an interesting angle to it, actually.
1: Which seems so unfair, doesn't it? That's the thing about the Evil Dead yeah. films. I, f- I feel like it's because um, there's no. You know, once you get possessed, basically, there's no, you know, there's no going back from that. So, mm. you know, Ellie gets possessed early on in the film and, you know, what's at stake is for the other characters yeah. to survive. Have I mixed the names um, up? Which one's
0: Beth? Is Beth the younger sister?
1: Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Beth is the younger sister and Ellie <laughs> is, is the younger sister. Everybody ignore but, yeah, what I said.
0: I meant, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I meant? <laughs>
1: um, but I mean, like we said, they, um, you know, they're both dealing with their fair share of trauma, even, even before mm-hmm. the dead eyes show up uh, Beth finds that she's pregnant at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. um, and this is the driving factor for her to visit her sister and her kids um, and like you said it soon, soon become ob- um, obvious that Beth has been MIA for a while because she had no idea that her sister is separating from her husband or partner I'm not mm-hmm. sure um, and her the kids are getting kicked out of their apartment um, Oh, by the way quick quick side note here the building where they leave um, which is later revealed to have been a bank at some point I think mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, is called Monday, which is an anagram of demon, not ah! a very good anagram. Um, anagram, may, may I may note. <laughs> but that's um. I'm sorry, I'm being a complete nerd here. But I, I I've made a I've ma- I made a little um, list of because uh, obviously the film uh, is full of. You know Easter eggs and references mm. to the rest of the franchise, also to other horror films. So I wonder if you would uh, humor me for a minute and let me uh, go through go through my little list of, uh, <laughs> of things that I noticed that I really was desperate to talk to someone about. Because <laughs> my partner, I saw it with my partner and I was kind of like at the end listing all these things and he was like, I don't care. <laughs> How dare he, honestly. Last time I go to the cinema with him. <laughs> so starting from the very opening shot of the film, which is pretty much I Identical to that of the original Evil Dead, uh, you know the travelling POV shot that has, of course, since then become uh, iconic and synonym with the franchise. Is uh, again is the, the opening shot in in this film. Um, the wooden cabin, with then being shown, is quite a bit different from the original one. Um, and in fact, I might be making this up in my mind, but I think it's very reminiscent of the hut in Midsummer. Yeah. Um, might just might just be me. I haven't seen anybody else uh, <laughs> noting this, so it might just be my mind. Um, however, once in the cabin, you can spot a clock on the wall of the cabinet is an exact replica of the one in the original film um, major nerd fact here uh, the first character to be possessed in the fil- film recites a passage from Withering uh, Heights without looking at the book her friend is holding which of course is reminiscent to the scene in the original film where Cheryl correctly guesses a series of cards without being able to see them um, the iconic eyeball spit scene from Evil Dead 2 is reprised in this film. It's so, of course, a lot more gruesome. <laughs> the eye is beaten out of a character's face um, and spit into the mouth of another. And by the way, the sound the sound effect of the eyeball beaten out in Evil Dead Rise was achieved by Bruce Campbell biting into an apple, which I, I loved um, finding about that. The elevator filled with blood is obviously a reference to The Shining, so not going to expand on that one. Uh, The boomstick and the chainsaw are obviously making an appearance in this film. And in terms of gallons of fake blood being used, I think this film easily takes on the 2013 blood rain scene. Um, And finally, maybe my my favourite, and again, I may have made that up in my mind because I want it to be true, but when Ellie is sitting outside the apartment, she tries to lure in Cassie by singing a haunting lullaby called Hushabye, Baby, um, and I might be thinking a little too hard about this, but it could be a clever little reference, reference slipped in there by the Irish director, to as a wing to the 1990 Irish film of the same name about a 15-year-old girl who accidentally become pregnant, uh, becomes pregnant and has to deal with the harsh consequences of a predicament. And I, but I, you know, if, if that's true, I think that's a really like really nice link to mm. Beth and her predicament, mm. um, and linking it to uh, Lee Cronin and, and his heritage. So that's it. That's wow. my nerd segment done.
0: Incredible. <laughs> no, I love it. That's amazing. Well, yeah, with The Shining, um, I mean, I'm happy because that's the gift that I always send when I'm on my period. <laughs> so, of course, what else? Yeah, so I'm happy to have another edition to be like, watch out. Um, but yeah I think I read as well that they had to do that so they had to practice with water because they only had one take because it was so many gallons and gallons of blood Mm -hmm. that they only had to do it they had to do it once which I think again like yes you know let's do it it's like guerrilla well it's not guerrilla filmmaking because obviously they had a big budget but that bit feels particularly like we've got to do it now that's a
1: dream I think for a filmmaker exactly that you know that one shot one shot Um, so yeah it's very I think it's very exciting yeah
0: absolutely so shall we get into then mommy's with the maggots now which is going to go down as an iconic line Iconic. (laughs) but i mean i really loved it and i you know i loved when you know when she was like i'm finally free you titty sucking parasites and you know I, i i found it's something i've been sort of thinking about for something else actually um but this idea about like dualities of like disgust and devotion. And I think they're particularly common in possession films. And if you'd have asked me before Mm -hmm. Evil Dead Rise, I would have said I didn't like possession films, apart from obviously, you know, the main one, (laughs) The Exorcist, obviously. Which one could
1: you be talking about?
0: (laughs) I know, why did I clarify? Like people weren't going to (laughs) know. But I think looking at this, I actually do really like, um, I think when there's this, um this complexity to it and because that's one of the things mm. that i love about exorcist is why you know, oh, go on.
1: why sorry i was just gonna say why 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 wouldn't you why would you have said before that that you that possession films were not Well, i, um, I don't know thing?
0: really i think i just always thought they were a bit boring i think because there were so many you know it were like for a few years mm-hmm. only thing that ever came out were a possession film
1: True, true. Um.
0: And I think I'd maybe just thought, oh, it's not really my bag, which seems bizarre because you know I'm a folklorist and stuff. But yeah, I I just would have said, oh, let's watch some. You know, is there something different? Is there something about like a big shark or you know a creature feature? <laughs> of some okay,
1: more creature feature. Um, then yeah. Well, that's for me. I'm like that's my like that's that is my jam definitely. Yeah, Possession. give it to me. <laughs>
0: um. But I I just I thought like the body horror aspect because obviously everybody knows that i love the body horror Mm -hmm. but i think that sort of physical transformation that is experienced in a possession i think is is actually something i am interested in so this is going to make me seek out more possession films i think um
1: excellent job done yeah
0: but yeah and also that idea about you know it's it's the mother so they feel that devotion like you know when when um youngest opens door and she's got her in and she's trying to like strangle her because it's a mom, Mm -hmm. even though she looks so changed, it's still a mom. Mm -hmm. So she, she, you know, there's still that sort of devotion there. And I think, and you know, then when obviously when she sort of comes back and she says, don't let it take me baby, it's like, it's this very, there's still that bond there until obviously, um, Ellie is...
1: Yeah, right, uh, sorry, just about that scene you were just talking about when she, I think it is very poignant because it's it's something that's been, you know, used time and time again in in, in horror films, I think, you know, that scene, you know, with the character, you know, let me, let me in, and, you know, most of the time you wouldn't forgive the character for letting them in, you'd be like, you stupid idiot, like, you Mm. know, obviously... Don't open the door but there because it's a child and as you said, you know there is that that bond you know of uh, mother and child I think it's it's actually a very um a very poignant moment and you you know yeah. at no point do you feel like ah oh, you know Cassie is being a you know complete idiot yeah. just you know she just wants to believe that her mummy's is back right
0: yeah yeah and that's the thing and I think it's that you know like still wanting to to do what what she tells them to You know, like she's Mm -hmm. asking me to let her in and she's my mom, I've got to do it. And I just think there's something really interesting in that dynamic that has not necessarily all that I can think of been done in that way before. You know, and obviously Mm -hmm. there's the strain of like the single mother and the the guilt of, you know, kids that, you know, obviously then, and I'm sorry, I can't remember any of the names. The one who reads the book. (laughs) What's I can't I, you know I,
1: I can't Cash, either. But no. Cassie's the little one, uh, yeah. but I, I I cannot remember the name of the other I the other two. Remember. Oh sorry guys.
0: Oh, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> the one the one who reads the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: The naughty one. <laughs>
0: the naughty one who reads the book. Um, but you know that guilt then that they've brought that into the the house mm-hmm. and the mum and then obviously then the sister and then the self is like sacrificed to it. But I was thinking about what you said earlier as well because. It seems to be quite unfair that through no fault of your own you get sort of infected with this demon and then that's it. Like there's no hope. You're just dead. You're in hell apparently. Yeah. Like I can't think of any film that does that. I mean, even in Hellraiser. I mean you can if you if you're not meant to be there, they don't take you. You know, that's like yeah, the, yeah, the sort exactly. of thing. And it's such an interesting interplay between, I feel like sort of folk horror with this idea about, you know, ancient evil and it's maybe tied to, to trees and, you know, and it's it's tied to nature. But then this that very Christian idea about hell and you're going to burn in hell mm-hmm. and everything else. And it's this really interesting mix. And like, you know, the book of human skin, which just makes me think of Ocus Pocus um oh wow i had not made that shortcut that's brilliant (laughs) but you know like it's it's just that even that that's a very sort of old old idea isn't it like they used to bind books in skins hanged men and all that stuff and it's a very it's Mm -hmm. calling back to like a very old idea about sort of dark magic i suppose um Mm -hmm. and i and i think it's really interesting how they do it um I mean as well. I I love that its single location because I love that. I think how they was building is fantastic in it. You know, it's so mm-hmm. clever.
1: No, it it, 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 it it's absolutely yeah, that was going to be the, mm. the the next um, the next thing I wanted to talk about actually was that big shift in, in scenery mm. um that that this film brings to the table. You know, we move from the cabin in the woods to the city to mm. a big tall apartment building. Um, obviously that's, that's a really important and significant move. And I wasn't quite sure, I I the trailer was really well constructed Mm. in that way because it made you think that, you Mm. know, it was happening in the, in, 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 in the, um, in the woods, um, but it's you know it's really significant, especially you when know, considering. And I know you know you probably be talking a lot more about that in you you know when you talk about the the folklore um, aspect um, and elements of the film. Uh, but we can when we consider the symbolism of the forest, the forest and the cabin in the mm-hmm. wood. You know the the deep dark wood being you know used in in both fairy tales and gothic liter- literature, simultaneously a, a, ma- a magical realm and a place of danger. Um, so, like, what do you think? Um, uh, you know, how do you think it's worked to make that shift from the familiar cabin in the Wiz narrative to um to that apartment building? Um, you know, have they managed to translate the same themes?
0: I, I think they have, I think they did, deeper into it. I think they did it really well. I think the to be able to get that same sense of so you're trapped and you're isolated. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously they're living in a building that's been condemned, so most people have already gone, and then you know exactly. the then it's how they use the 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 sort of architecture so stairs fall out and lift don't work so they're trapped and then obviously when Ellie's like going up in um through air vents and everything and you know they just use that space so well and I think is it slightly convenient that it's an old bank and there just happens to be this vault in there well yes it is but suspend your disbelief people <laughs> you know we're talking about a book of course, made of skin Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> suspension of disbelief yeah. is is important at this stage
0: and I, I did think it were quite funny that they'd included the vinyl that feels like you know very yeah. contemporary to be like yeah we've got necromicon on vinyl um <laughs> i know that's very that, very hipster yeah hipster <laughs> hipster demonic possession but. I did, you know, again, I suppose we can look at, um, that as a tie back to, to the sort of sins of the father, if you will, about religion, that this, mm-hmm. these priests would dabble in in something that they shouldn't be dabbling in and didn't heed the warnings and then didn't destroy it, <laughs> just decided to put it in a vault. Like, yeah. Why would you, you know, um, <laughs> didn't throw it into the sea or, you know, make it so nobody could find it again, just put it in a bank vault. Um, but I think that's interesting as well. This idea that it's it's so you know it's travel it's traveled through, you know through time like it's endured through time. And I mean I'd be quite interested mm-hmm. to see maybe like an historical Evil Dead, you know maybe like that priest like going back to that and seeing you know. <laughs>
1: Well, Meg, you need to watch Army of Darkness. Oh, then, right. in that case, <laughs> in that, into
0: the night, awesome. I've seen posters in, in like Camelot, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I just yeah, and I think they've let they've left it like there's so many ways you could go that you could still be telling mm-hmm. this story, um, yeah. and you know it's it is very very rich in its own folklore, like it's created its own mythology. Um, exactly. which I always really Absolutely. appreciate and um... But yeah, I mean, I really loved it, and I think I know we've talked about the gar a little bit. But what did you think about like the so you know when she's got tattoo gun and she's like going for her eye and then oh <laughs> don't oh
1: my god, you know what I think probably the first thing that I've done is go home and look at my cheese grater and say this is yeah. gonna this is gonna change our relationship. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I love... no, I think it
1: was so creative.
0: Yeah, it was yeah. so
1: creative in terms of um. You know, I just love the idea of like you know it just it makes you scared of all the you know of all these objects that you have around you yeah. all the time and thinking this is a weapon, this is a weapon, this is a weapon. Well, <laughs> and nothing thin, is safe. Yeah. It's just...
0: and that's what it does so well because it does it in your own home. Then it's not like oh, I'd never go to a stupid mm-hmm. isolated cabinet woods <laughs> you know it's like oh god my own kitchen <laughs> exactly. um and i saw that um, exactly that's yeah well i just saw when it premiered that they were getting everybody like little mini cheese graters and i thought that was so cool as like a promo <laughs> that's so fun that's
1: fantastic i was so that, that, make, <laughs> that makes a really great point actually about that uh, so that you know that shift in scenery obviously is very important to the franchise mm. but actually like, like you said he, he, it's very effective that he puts it in a domestic setting and you know obviously considering it was you know I believe that the film was written in um, during Covid as well Mm. and I think that's kind of reflected in that idea of being isolated with your family you know, with um, but you know the architecture of the um uh, of the building and said is it's being, um, it's um, so it's dilapidated mm. and it's half empty and you, well, the, the apartment building. So, uh, so it would make sense that you know that all of a sudden you not, you know, no one is aware of mm. you know of, of their predicament basically. Um, but you know, in terms, even in you know, if we think of it in terms of um. Psychological analysis, you know that idea of of, of levels, yeah. and you know the book is found in the basement. I mean, just like in in the cabin, is mm. you know that idea of you know the basement mm. where our subconscious live and where fear and uh, fears and desires live, and you know and, and take that out mm. of you know <laughs> of that subconscious la- level and bring it bring it into the um, familial mm. sort uh, familiar surrounding, and then that's when you know shit hits the fan, yeah. basically. And I just think yeah. it's it's a very you know, to bring that in an environment that's already dysfunctional and partly fragmented, mm-hmm. and you know, to see you know what happens, it's just yeah. I just think like it's yeah. a, it's a fantastic update on the uh, on the on, on the narrative.
0: Absolutely, and and then their apartment being like this lovely, warm, very individual, very mm-hmm. sort of bohemian space in this very rundown, spooky-looking building, but it's like their their little safety like cocoon really and then it's violated by something coming in that is uninvited and i think that's a really interesting part Mm -hmm. as well and that i suppose is much more relatable to people in that setting than it is in a cabin in woods where you'd go for a weekend i think to introduce that horror to your living space um, mm-hmm. And your sort of family home, where you're meant to feel safest, is a really interesting interpretation of, of that story. And you know, like the mm-hmm. the callback to when she's sort of strung up in lift to Mia when she gets strung up in forest, and mm-hmm. it's a very there's a lot to to sort of connect the dots. But I think what this has done with it is is just really breathe like new life into it, which is ironic. Um <laughs> to use that sort of phrase <laughs> Yeah. Um but you know, I mean Mummy's with the maggots now, he's gonna go down in in quoting history, oh. you know. Um,
1: absolutely fantastic line. Yeah. i think in in terms of um you know other themes that the uh, that that the film um deals with and there's been quite a lot of great films lately mm. that have been you know dealing with, with similar themes Just that idea of um reluctant mother motherhood yeah. right um you know beth who finds out she's pregnant and is conflicted about that idea and and in the end you know kind of becomes you know, <laughs> mothers to those yeah. uh, you know to those kids because you know because mummy's with the maggots now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know I I yeah I don't, I don't know if you have any I'm sure you have you know many thoughts about this but I just thought again it's like it's beautifully horrifically beautifully portrayed in this film and it's really great to finally see lots more films dealing with that you know mm. with that um, with that theme playing with it and not necessarily giving a um, uh, you know a resolution to it and I, I just I really love that
0: yeah and I think it's interesting about reluctant motherhood as well because she get I mean obviously you get the vibe that it's not necessarily Ellie that's speaking but when she says I'm finally free are you parasites there mm-hmm. might be an element mm-hmm. of truth to that that in the wake of this breakdown we're in a relationship that she's thinking shit I'm stuck here with these three kids in this run-down flat to. and I've got no money and you know, they're my responsibility now because the dad gets to walk away and I don't get to walk away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's like a duality to that in terms of, you know, ambivalent motherhood because I think, you know, Beth is yeah. obviously, she do not know what to do. She's found out she's pregnant. She's is not in a, in a place in her life to do it. But then Ellie is much further down that line. And I think that is such an interesting um, point to, to explore in terms of ambivalency in motherhood is like when it's too late basically <laughs> they're here you know yeah no rear. exactly
1: you're right ambivalent is definitely a better a, a, be- mm. a better term for it yeah 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 it's um but yeah it's it, i think it's, it's fantastic to see it do you see it explore more mm. and more in horror and i think in that one that was you know that was probably one of the themes. that when i you know walking out of the cinema i was kind of like this is You know, so different for an Evil Dead film to be to feel so profound. Mm. Actually, (laughs) for me, people might disagree. And
0: and I think as well, like obviously at the end when there's some sort of horrible, like mashed up, many limbed Mm -hmm. monster. You know, I mean, it's (laughs) it's a bit of a stretch to talk about you know enmeshment in that term. (laughs) They're not necessarily (laughs) enmeshed, but literally enmeshed. But I think that as well is like it's such a perversion of the family unit, literally they reunion. 100%. Just moving together, you know, and I was like, oh, God, this is awful. But then you feel really bad yeah. because, you know, like when she obviously then, the fantastic ending, again with the blood rain, when she that callback to that, but when she like shoves her into a chipper and I think. Wood chipper, you know, exactly. I mean, Imagine enough, having to
1: do that to your own sister.
0: Not enough wood chippers, if you want my opinion. I think need more wood no. chippers um but, i agree but yeah i think even that even though you can set yourself you're not my sister and me niece you know you're not missing me, me family anymore but you're still looking mm-hmm. at the face of your family as you sort of shunting them into a wood chipper and i think I know. you know that's a horror that is not explored as much in this because i don't think that's the purpose of it i think it is meant to be a very mm-hmm. entertaining gore fest that's got these messages. But I, I think that would be such an interesting area as well to think about like the, you know, which I think things like the exorcist again, does it, but there's an happy ending. Whereas in this, there's no happy ending. So she gets out no. and she goes running off. We are surviving niece and everybody else is dead. <laughs> you know it's really yeah great. exactly and
1: god knows you know god knows how long they will survive as yeah. well because by you know the evil is unleashed and then there's no you know there's no way to put it back in the box and yeah. so it's dead by dawn dead by dawn you yeah. know or if you survive it then you know that night will come again for sure so absolutely I, um,
0: absolutely but yeah. i mean I, I did think it were a very good ending even though it's it's pretty depressing to think that you know daddy's dead or whatever like that's but i, I did, loved it
1: i left yeah. it with a big green i was kind of like oh it circles back perfectly yeah. i absolutely loved it
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> um well are we ready for fort law corner clearly?
1: please please i am so ready for it and i, I, I cannot wait ready.
0: to hear everything you have to I say i did too deep a dive <laughs> uh, as always um no such thing but I've thought about it in terms of spirit possession, which seems to be a bit more of an encompassing term than like demonic possession, because obviously demons aren't necessarily prevalent globally. But this idea about being possessed is prevalent um, in many cultures and religions. And um, one definition that we can use is that spirit possession is the belief in external forces that can be malevolent or benevolent, taking over a body or an object. I think that's a, a definition that we can all relate to this idea that, you know, some, some external entity takes over someone's body, which is what we see in evil dead rise. Um, Mm -hmm. but due to the the variance in it across the globe an incredible person I found out about although I do need to do more reading on him Erika Bourguignon who is an anthropologist considered the premier authority on trans possession and altered states of consciousness so I've just found my new dream job Basically. Absolutely love that. Yeah. Erica Bourguignon did a lot of work looking at sort of spirit possession and trans states across the globe in a lot of different cultures. And so she suggested that when we are trying to look across different cultures and different countries, that we should see spirit possession as a means um of interpretation. So it's not like a particular set of symptoms like swallowing glass or you know um breaking your back and then snapping back upright or anything like that. It should be um, seen as like a diagnostic model through which cultures interpret certain phenomena, which I thought were really interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. So... And different cultures have different attitudes. So in some cultures, um, for instance, like shamans, mediums and oracles can be possessed and this is desirable because then they act as vessels for benevolent gods and spirits. And it means they can heal the sick and deliver prophecies and things like that. But in others, which we are much more used to seeing in cinema, um, it's it's not a desirable outcome because unwelcome and malevolent or demonic, force, d- d- demonic forces can take hold. um. So it's not possible, and this is not a cop out on my end. Uh, it's not possible to categorize all forms of <laughs> possession. So Erica Bourguignon found, in a five-year period from 1963 to 1968, that in 488 countries that she surveyed, there were more than 375 different traditions of spirit possession, with some form of possession appearing in 70 to 77 sorry of the countries she explored, which I thought was quite interesting. Wow. Yes. So, would you like a timeline? the history of possession oh
1: please yeah yeah no that's that's <laughs> fascinating that's uh, absolutely amazing stuff I was trying to think if there was an example of um of a film with a positive example of possession or at least to begin with Ghosts you know, with Patrick Swayze and I'm not Swayze quite sure and <laughs> I just thought about a top on the head uh, yeah but, yeah, that sounds great I was <laughs> I was wondering if uh, oh my god that's brilliant i love that i was wondering if the new have you seen the trailer for the new a24 uh film with the i i, I don't want to say talk to the hand i'm sure it's not called that but it's like the one oh, with the hand yeah yeah and she yeah. grabs the hand and and oh she got, yeah like, you know, yeah portal that looks into, really good yeah but i think it seems like it becomes like a you know like it it, it starts as a like as a, a yeah. you know experience and then it turns, then it turns bad. bad but yeah but apart bad. from that ghost, ghost. If ghost is the <laughs> <on> next protocol <laughs>
0: um but when i say a timeline obviously i've not gone from the start of history um all the way through mm-hmm. what i've done is um so sort i of found some of the earliest examples and then i've picked some examples that i think speak to what we talk about on this podcast which is the ways that like gender and class are really negatively affected by ideas about possession particularly obviously women which is what we talk about so Mm-hmm. in 16 from 1600 to 1050 BCE oracle bones from the Shang dynasty reveal that belief in ver- there was a belief that various maladies were caused by spirits or demons so that gives an idea about how long the records go back in terms of belief in um, spirit possession. Mm In 357 CE, the life of Anthony was compiled, and this talks about the spiritual struggles of St. Anthony, and this has had a lasting influence on how Christianity interprets demonic forces. So when we see films that are about you know, demonic possession through a Christian lens like The Exorcist and things like that, we can trace it back to 357 CE, or at least in part. Mm -hmm. In 645 CE, the Japanese government outlawed mediumship, in an attempt to assert control, which eventually led to the temporary exile of the traditionally female mediums who were known as Miko, which no surprise Mm. there, the women get the short end of the stick no Um, surprise in 1374 there was the first outbreak of dancing mania in Germany which is a fascinating phenomenon
1: yes I've heard about that one it's absolutely amazing
0: yes and there were numerous people reported uncontrollable dancing for days this was followed then by an outbreak in Strasbourg in 1518 where 400 people are reported to have died from exhaustion goodness me completely mad that one yeah it's absolutely fascinating um from 1500 to the 1800s, we have the transatlantic slave trade, where approximately 12 million enslaved people were trafficked to North and South America. And they brought a lot of their beliefs, which were then changed through contact with European and indigenous peoples. And this led to what has been termed the Afro-Atlantic traditions, which that's not my terminology, but that's um, which include voodoo, santeria and umbanda. You'd be interested to know that from 1600 to 1700, it was known as the golden age of the demon. Can't talk. It was known as the golden age of the demoniac. In Europe. What a time to live in! (laughs) What a time to be alive! Um, And so but again this idea about power and class comes into this because this was when the sort of separation Catholic and Protestant churches um, and so there were all these reports about possession and church's attempts to combat it and so these um, these exorcisms played into this sort of religious power play because they demonstrated the strength of the church but only if they weren't seen as superstitious which I find bizarre. Sky Daddy's fine. Mm -hmm. Superstition's bad. Um, And it was also the first time that uh, the term Dybbuk was recorded, which I'll talk about those shortly. But now we're really getting into it as we move through the the 1600s. I promise the gap gets much wider between time (laughs) periods. Um, In 1614, the Ritual Romanum was written, and this established the first Catholic rite of exorcism, which we still see in a lot of these films. In 1634, we see another case of mass demonic possession in an Ursuline convent in France, which was followed by a further outbreak in 1647. I mean, why aren't people writing more films about, you know, dance mania and demonic nuns? I feel like we need we need more films about this.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, we, that's, 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 those are the films that I want to see I want, to see.
0: I want to see a film about dancing mania in demonic nuns. That's what I want. <laughs> Combine the two. You
1: know, quick, very quickly about this, about the dance mania. I think so. one of my friends lives in, is, lives in Strasbourg and I was telling her about, um, mm. a, a, about this. She had no idea about it. But she said every year, so she see, soon started reading out about it. And she then found out that every year they have a rave to commemorate uh-huh. it.
0: That's cool. <laughs> Well, we'll that add that. Crazy? We'll add that to the Penis Festival in Japan. We'll do the Penis yeah, exactly. Festival and then we'll go to the, the Dance we Mania riff.
1: The Monstrous Flesh World <laughs> Tour is on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but, yeah, so in 1692 to 93, we have the Salem Witch Trials. Obviously, everyone knows about them. In 1848, the Fox Sisters began their you know rat-a-tat-tapping and gave birth to the spiritualist mm. movement. If you're not aware of the Fox Sisters, a very interesting... Um, sort of trio to read up on and now we're sort of getting into cases specific cases so in 1895 bridget cleary was tortured and murdered by her family in tipperary island because they thought she was a changeling so this is another element of possession that the fairies the fae mm. have taken you um 1922 Hackson's released a personal favorite for my, me and clelia mm-hmm. Um, and then in 71, The Exorcist, the book, comes out with a film in 73. Um, a case that you might be familiar with, I teach this case um, when I'm teaching about occult crimes, is in 1976, Annalise Michel was murdered by her parents and Catholic priests Somewhat controversially, I do use the term "murdered" because you know she did mm-hmm, die mm-hmm. in a pre- absolutely, absolutely preventable yeah. way. um So she died of malnutrition and exhaustion and pneumonia after she'd been subject to repeated exorcisms. Now, no charges were brought against those involved, because you know why would you? Um, but the Catholic mm-hmm. Church did convene to reevaluate practices. So after this, we sort of see a dying down of the old exorcism train. But in recent years, it has resurfaced with apparently now the. They are training priests again in exorcism at the Vatican. Make of that what What? you will. Maybe we're in an end of day scenario. Maybe they know something we don't. Oh my
1: goodness! Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But the most recent example, and then I'll stop this timeline because I could talk about it all day, but I won't. Is that in 2011 to 2012 15 girls in Laroy, New York, experienced anomalous twitching and seizing, and this received national media attention. Um, and it was later attributed to conversion disorder, which is where sort of mental ill health can like have a physical impact on your brain function quite how that could occur to 15 girls simultaneously has never been explained um but Mm -hmm. i thought that were an interesting idea about sort of mass possession thinking about you know the, the the nuns and the salem witch trials and this idea about these mass sort of events um is very interesting but just to finish i did find out some of the different forms of possession from across the globe if you would like to hear them clearly
1: Please, please
0: please i'm fascinated so as i feel i've gone too far into the demonic hole today well i should rephrase that probably but i won't <laughs> <laughs> come back Meg, you're too far into the demonic <laughs> hole <laughs> um so a dibbok as i mentioned earlier is um part of jewish mythology um and they're believed to be the wandering soul of a dead person that comes to possess living hosts because Dibbuk is yiddish for cling which I thought was a very satisfying um, word. Ah. So what they are is debated. So some think that the family members whose souls are in limbo. Um, some think that they are people who have been kept out of the afterlife because of sinful acts such as suicide. Again, not my judgment. Um, But an interesting sort of contemporary um, case of Dybbuk, well, dastardly Dibbuck's, I suppose, is that Post Malone is said to have been cursed when he touched a box that contained a trapped Dibbuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish people could see my face right now. This, this
1: is perfect. I didn't know it, but when this sentence started, I had no idea you would finish
0: here. <laughs> Wow (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in Japan The Misaki Are small scale spirits With big influences That can cause illness and death And it's thought In some regions That people who die violent deaths Become Misaki To wreak their revenge the sort of last example last couple of examples relate specifically to to women in a way that i think you'll appreciate clearly so in mozambique there's a very relatively new phenomenon which occurred after the civil war which is where women um are possessed by gamba who are said to be dead soldiers um and prior to the to this war spirit possession were limited to certain families and it were less common so the idea that it only affects women is Quite common, actually, in quite a lot of different cultural contexts. But I thought that was interesting, as is the fact that in the mm. 1980s, female workers in Malaysian factories were allegedly becoming possessed. um, And so they were becoming, like, screaming, becoming violent, destructive. um, And factory owners were regarding it as mass hysteria um, and basically that it was this intrusion of archaic beliefs and, you know, loading these women up with Valium and sending them home, which seems to be the way that, um, you know, (laughs) the man, as it were, the capitalist deals Mm -hmm. with things. Um, But the anthropologist Ahiwa Ong noted that these beliefs were actually typically held by older married women, whereas these female factory workers were young and unmarried, so it wasn't necessarily that they were, like, influenced by these older beliefs. Not linked. But Mm. what I thought was particularly interesting is that she connects this phenomenon to the rapid industrialisation and modernisation of Malaysia, so she um, believes, Ong believes that spirit possession is a traditional way of rebellion against authority without punishment, um, and suggests that it were a means of protesting against their untenable working conditions. So possession is a feminist act. I think we can. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, say it's
1: definitely it's very very gendered. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. amazing that um, uh, there are so many instances that are um, uh, yeah experienced by experienced by women more than yeah, men. Absolutely. Um, that, that made me think, um I don't know if you if you've listened to it, but Alice Lowe did a series on, on audibles called Hysteria. Oh yeah. Um, which which talks to, like, a lot of the case that you were talking about. She uh, she, she she talks about um, in depth in, in in those series. So really, like if you haven't listened to it, it's absolutely amazing, mm. and it really goes like deep into deep into the demonic hole, yeah. <laughs> and also deep into deep into the psychology um, be, behind mass hysteria. Oh yeah, and, uh, that uh, sounds so, brilliant. So yeah. so yeah, really really recommend this one.
0: Well, that leads us neatly into our recommendations, I suppose, doesn't it? You've done it again, <laughs> Daniel you, Clearly, You've done it again. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> so right do you want to do you want to take this one should i do you want me to start or um, i mean i I, can, to... I think i've probably mentioned most of mine already um i had go for it, go uh, for it. the exorcist obviously the original evil dead I'll... um i also had the babadook which i think is a very interesting one that people don't always link to mm-hmm. possession but i think it's very much about possession yeah. um and also the anthology uh xx which has some really good yes yes Great,
1: great, yeah. Okay, I'll st- I'll strike all these off my list then.
0: <laughs>
1: we had a, we had a lot of crossover there, but uh, I suppose I had um, "Drag Me to Hell." Yes. Um, by Sam Raimi as well. So a uh, fun one when it comes to possession. Uh The Hole in the Ground, obviously. Um Lee Cronin's first uh, first feature. If you haven't seen it, run and see it, it's so worth it. Um A Nightmare on Elm Street for some reason. <laughs> Hell, <laughs> Dan, yeah. i was yeah. like why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant Indonesian horror film called May the Devil Take You from oh, 2018 Oh, i I've been meaning um, to watch that, yeah. Mm-hmm absolutely fantastic and really uh, I think a good companion piece for, mm. for Evil Dead Rise and finally one that I saw today um, but if you're more on the side of uh, Evil Dead being um, you know spooky fun and a bit ridiculous is Deadstream that's just uh, the, uh, that's I think it's been on, on, on shadow for not too long um, but yeah as far as spiritual children of the Evil Dead franchise um, I think it'd be hard-pressed to find a greater con- oh. content than Deadstream um, which picks up the supernatural slap stick gauntlet while still very very much doing his own thing so Mm -hmm. um if you haven't seen it i kind of recommend it for a bit of a a bit of silly fun um but yeah thank you so much that was um that was so amazing i'm definitely gonna have to um you know to steal your note because there's so much stuff that you talked about on this episode that i was like i need to read more (laughs) about this this is amazing so thank you for your deep dive
0: Oh no well i think what i found so interesting about it um is that it's seen very much by anthropologists as a as possession as a culturally specific form of conflict management. So it disguises but also resolves social tensions. And so re, I think the reason why it endures as it does and why there's so many films about it and why people still are performing exorcisms today is that rather than it being this relic from the past, that you know, it's possession and exorcism aren't these surviving relics, but the, the, these frameworks by which modern people are making sense at world and looking for meaning. And that's not changed over, Mm -hmm. you know, from, you know, 1600 BC to now (laughs) that people are still using these Mm -hmm. frameworks. And I just think it's so interesting. And also what an idiot I were to be like, I don't like possession rubbish <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's all we'll be watching now welcome to the dark side yeah
0: but yeah oh one last recommendation is Husera the bone woman which um i watched to do a review for recently uh and it is absolutely fantastic and again that like sort of possession as a narrative so, to talk about ambivalent motherhood mm-hmm. very very good mm-hmm. and very well done and that's going to be on Shudder as well absolutely
1: amazing yeah. and we i mean i'm so i'm so i mean i, I watched it after your recommendation and reading your. Um, Uh, your review of it and uh, I mean we need to talk after this episode I'm so tempted to (laughs) we need to cover it we need to do something about it because I am obsessed with this film it is so good if you haven't seen it guys um, yeah run to see it
0: Thanks for listening to Monstrous Flesh. Please join us next time for more discussion about women in horror. You can find out more about us via our website, monstrousflesh.co.uk, where you can find out more about our research for each episode, buy our wonderful merch, and see our upcoming events. We'd also love to hear from you, either via our email or social media channels. And also, please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread our spooky word by telling your friends about Monstrous Flesh. Until next time, creep it weird, everyone! ¶¶